0: Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter.
1: So yes, I'm sorry, what does your unsweetened seltzer water mint mojito have to do with this bird.
0: Traditionally, I mean, so supposedly the Ortolan is absolutely delicious, right? Like it's one of the best things uh you can put in your mouth, supposedly. I've never had one, but supposedly. Yes. But because it's such a decadent, monstrous thing to Uh create, traditionally you are supposed to eat it with a napkin or your handkerchief over your head to hide your shame from God while you're eating it. (laughs) And I bring this up to say... That if human beings did that to eat this delicious bird, I can breathe through my yeah. nose to get the best part of this sparkling water.
1: All right. You know, <laughs> nothing's, nothing's going to waste. I 100% support that. But I think probably that's a decent transition into talking about uh, Captain America. This week. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I Look, just, I'm not going to get a segue from this tormented, delicious bird and your, your mint mojito seltzer into Captain America. There's no connection there. I'm just like, let's just. I'm going to
0: ask a it's question. Just, it's
1: time to move into Of the our show. listeners,
0: yep. just in case this becomes an outtake, God help us all. But if there is like a Latin word for an argument that is made logically, but also with ridiculous over the top bullshit, but it's still logical. But also, like, I'm going to deal with this thing that's like a two by turning it up to 12 to prove my point at the two. If there's a word for that, listeners, let me know. Because I think that's what I just did. And I think it's my new favorite, like, rhetorical style.
1: Yes. No, absolutely. There should be a name for that. If there is not a name for that, listeners, definitely get back to us and tell us what it should be. Like, let's name that. Because I'm going to tell you, Joshua, I love you dearly. Not the first time I've had that kind of argument from you.
0: No! Absolutely it's kind of your signature move. Well, now to be fair, you're usually uh, d- broadly when this when I've done this yes. I feel like we're probably talking about superhero stuff, which to be <laughs> fair <laughs> is sort of naturally turned up to 12. So if I'm going to turn Blends that around itself
1: exactly. You know, and apply
0: mm-hmm. that to anything in real life, I'm doing I'm doing right. that thing. Which by the way, we're going to do right. today. I have political <laughs> feelings, as you'll be shocked to discover. Oh. About I am not issue. at
1: all surprised well, to discover that you have political feelings. Listen,
0: Captain America, Red Skull, <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D., and my little lefty heart are going to keep being no, a thing, I-, I think, as we go through this espionage story. And you <laughs> thought we wouldn't have a segue.
1: I thought we wouldn't have a segue, but you pulled that out rather nicely. All right. So today we are reading Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, written by Ed Brubaker. All the credits are in the show notes. This is issue two of Out of Time, which is a six-issue run (laughs) that we're doing, plus one. We're going to be doing a total of seven issues of Cat before we move on to the JLA comic, which is coming in the second half of season one of In the Gutter. So that hopefully brings everybody more or less up to date on what we're doing. Um, and, and if you need so a I reminder
0: sh- of issue seven, the reason we're doing issue seven is it's kind of an interlude issue. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it very specifically doesn't belong to either side. So it sort side. Of functions
1: as a coda to this story?
0: Well, it's, it's more like, um, and, and we'll, we'll talk about it when, when we mm-hmm. get there because I, yeah. you're, you're going re- it, to, it's for you like in a real way because
1: okay. there's
0: going to be some like names dropped, you know, mm-hmm. that are, uh, and one in particular That's really important to, like, Captain America's history and is going to become a thing, like, in Mm -hmm. in this story. He's going to become a thing in this story. But a lot of people would be like, I'm sorry, who? Because it was, like, 1983, Uh 1984, right? So if you come Mm -hmm. to this from the MCU or if you come to this just as, you know, not somebody who is uh, ancient and been reading comics since Mm -hmm. they were four, you're going to be like... Who is this? And they have a whole issue to kind of roll that out. Mm-hmm. And and I think just for what it's worth, uh, I, it's not a waste, right? Because there's a lot of poignancy that would be mm-hmm. lost, and a lot of parallels that I don't want to get into. But that's the explanation. Mm-hmm. It felt it felt more like it belonged at the end of a thing than at the beginning of a thing. So I wanted to tack okay. it on to the end of Out of Time instead of at the beginning of Winter Soldier, the actual <laughs> arc called Winter Soldier. <laughs> see episode one for all that confusion
1: you know what here's the thing i spend a lot of my time trying to organize things like i have this this part of me that like needs things to be organized to a certain extent you know um in order for me to feel like comfortable Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i have given up i have given up on mentally wrapping my mind around how any of this stuff goes i am just gonna hop on the back of this horse with you joshua and maybe go into the summary you think
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Jack, roll the summary music. In Captain America Winter Soldier Out of Time, issue number two, we open with three dudes hanging out somewhere beneath Manhattan, wondering why their boss hasn't called. Then a frustrated dude in Red Skull cosplay emerges from the shadows and tells them to quit whining and just wait. Asterisk, that's
0: crossbones, put some respect on his name, we'll get to it. Okay, go on.
1: Red Skull cosplay until I hear different. All right. Meanwhile, in a flashback across town, Cap dreams about Bucky taking a shot to the gut in World War II and wakes up screaming. Then he's confused. That's not how Bucky died. That never actually happened. While he's trying to figure it out, he gets a beep from Sharon. Some things happen. She's going to pick him up on the roof in a shield helicarrier because we don't do anything Less than dial to twelve in the uh, in the MCU, if right, well, I'm not in the MCU, the Marvel Comics universe. They tell him Red Skull has died, and they need Cap's DNA in order to confirm it's really Red Skull for reasons that I am sure Joshua will explain later. I apparently, got you, Red Boop. Skull. I know you do. <laughs> I, apparently, Red Skull was living inside a clone of Steve. And welcome to comics, people. Cap doesn't believe that it's really Red Skull dead on the table, but he gives his DNA to an understandably nervous shield doctor and then goes to check out the crime scene. He recognizes Red Skull's mask and begins to believe that this might all be real. Cap flashes back to when he received the assignment to take down Red Skull in the war and then stares down at the bloody crime scene, likely wondering if the job he was created to do is finally done. One of the S.H.I.E.L.D. techs finds a receiver with a signal connecting to a place in Manhattan and Cap and Sharon go to check it out. While hunting through Manhattan's underground, Sharon admits that Fury wondered if Cap killed Skull. Sharon says she knows Cap's not an assassin, but Cap still isn't convinced that's really Skull being autopsied anyway. Their conversation is interrupted when they find the three dudes waiting on instructions and Cap starts a fight. Sharon calls for backup while Cap knocks out the dudes and gets some intel from them. They're from Aid, an offshoot of AIM. The man wearing the skull mask sees what's hap- What's it? crossbones?
0: Crossbones.
1: Red Skull cosplay sees what's happening and escapes while Cap cuts the power to the bomb the guys activated before being taken out. Meanwhile, Fury and company discover that the device they found used to house a cosmic cube. So whoever killed Skull has that now too. The man in the skull mask calls in and reports that Skull has been killed, but that doesn't mean that they have to abort their plans. He instructs his partners to set a timer and tell Paris to do the same. Tonight, he promises, the world will burn in Red Skull's memory. Alright, so overall response all right so um, I'm gonna go ahead and just kind of like give you my general response this, this does seem to have the flavor of the connective tissue between one act and the next we're moving from this like really incredible you know starting gun of story into this longer arc and I think it's totally fine for that um, we're grinding through story it's a very action based issue which is usually not my favorite thing but we've also got these really strong emotional beats underneath everything so that's keeping me going um, I have to say, I don't think I've ever read anything by Brubaker, but so far like him he's an efficient storyteller we're getting more of Cap's war trauma we're getting his relationship with Sharon Fury's secret agenda this team of idiots from aid Cap's suspicions about what Skull was really (laughs) up to Uh, the threat of this being bigger than just New York and it's all in under 30 pages there's so much going on and we're also doing all of this while hitting the emotional beats Cap's trauma we're getting the relationship we're getting all of these things even his relationship with Fury we're seeing in there and every Everything is, is you know, given um, this weight in two or three lines in the middle of a scene that's about something else. Like, it is unbelievable. Brubaker's got, like, 12 plates spinning at every given time. And um, I really like it. And the thing is, is that so much is going on here that we've kind of forgotten about Lucan, you know? Yes. Um, Which I so, think is
0: on purpose. Like, oh, like he's I'm just kind of like... Is. We can't forget that he exists, but also we kind of can't be bothered right now. Like the problems are more immediate right here in our face, which keeps everything feeling like there's this big forward. Momentum, right? Right. Even mm-hmm. even though we're doing a little bit of like sort of police procedural stuff, which can, which obviously there's like a whole you know sort of mm-hmm. uh, sub genre of that you know that has been popular for years. So like obviously that can be action packed, but not a Captain America story. <laughs> what? More on that in a bit. This is one of my thoughts actually. But like so we do. You're right. There's like mm-hmm. connective bits. We have to do some investigation. I personally really appreciate that there's some action in this mm-hmm. issue. Because there wasn't a whole lot except for the flashback, you know, right. uh, to Cap mm-hmm. being over the top. Because they're superhero stories. Thank you, Brew Baker, for not That's forgetting. What-
1: Right. That's what we come here for. Just because it's not like, here's the thing. Like the fact that I am interested in the MCU and interested in these comics and all that kind of stuff is despite the fact that I am not an actor. Like action scenes just generally bore me unless they're done with a real strong connection to story or whatever. And I get bored in the MCU. I mean, the 20 minutes of lasers and punching at the end of every Marvel movie, I don't care. Um, But this I actually felt like even in because we just seen Sharon come to Cap and be like, hey, you're beating the shit out of people like a little bit too much, like turn it down (laughs) a little bit. And then we have Cap flying at these guys. And there was a tension in there that as Sharon's watching, he's going to go over the line. I don't know that he necessarily did um because i don't know where the line is in the text of these superhero comics um, but i thought it was a really interesting like layer of dramatic tension underneath you know an action scene that we also need brew baker is layering the shit out of this stuff it's amazing
0: i want to shout out to epting uh on pencils in Mm -hmm. in this and and also lark on the flashbacks but especially Mm -hmm. epting in the present stuff because we are i mean brew baker is a master like he knows what he's doing and he's always got like multiple things going on in every crime and espionage bit and it's always anchored emotionally like uh one of his one of his uh crime books called just called criminal is like generational at Mm -hmm. times you know like in this one family or in this Mm -hmm. community like he's always doing that but if you don't have somebody that can meet you with the emotional visuals also, yes. which again, I don't love Epting's action stuff. It's mm-hmm. not bad. It's just not everything I would like it to be. It's a little stiff, mm-hmm. but he's doing the stuff we really need, like these concerned looks between Fury and Sharon and mm-hmm. this kind of like ironic smirk from Cap. Like, are you freaking kidding me? You know, just he's doing it. Epting is meeting Brubaker's story acting. where it needs to be. Yeah. That's the thing 100%. is that
1: artists, comic book artists, need to be actors and they need yes, to be able to, yes. it's it's kind of amazing what they're able to do.
0: And to your point with the action is this is, I mean, again, listen up a holes listeners heard <laughs> me say this to you, that you deserve to be bored during mm-hmm. a lot of the MCU action stuff because it's not usually very anchored in anything that's actually going on, you know, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And when these things work that they should be like, it should yeah. be, which is a, which is going to be an interesting conversation when we mirror this in JLA which is a much more plot driven and not as much character and emotion driven mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. it still happens right it's a different yeah. and it's not as deep but it's still there like mm-hmm. y- you will see um yeah so i just yeah i really appreciate that that we that we're re- i mean this is the all bangers thing right we're right. reading a thing that is doing all of these things all at the same time mm-hmm. so we can just be very impressed and not worry that we're in uh and not worry that we're in bad hands Mm -hmm. like (laughs) they'll handle it we're we're (laughs) not going to be disappointed at some point
1: All right, so I, I probably to nobody's surprise, like I completely screwed up everything last week. I got so confused <laughs> over the cover art. When we were talking about title page versus cover art, I kept talking about. This issues uh, like cover art, I guess, with the body outline, or maybe that's the title page, except it doesn't have a title on it. So I get completely confused. So fuck it. Here's the cover art, I guess. Um, We've got a blue border of a night sky, um, a red colorizing image of Cap looking really, really grim. Uh, We've got the body outline of what I presume is Red Skull, a slash of red going from Red Skull's chest area up over Cap's face, but it's layered over, you know, it's like in a top layer on the thing. Um, so it's it's feels like really simple art but it's really interesting and um, once again you know we have these two like superimposed over each other and while we're here last week's cover art was a generic shot of Cap throwing a shield Sharon on one side Nick Fury on the other both of them armed to the teeth and what appears to be a world on fire in the background with Red Skull's face coming out of the smoke and flames so there you go that's what I should have talked about last week did not remember it for last week, so here we are.
0: Okay, no, you're fine because as for <laughs> screwing up, I kind of did too. Like again, last episode we talked about all these different versions and collections, mm-hmm. and I honestly wasn't sure what you were looking at. And I would rather—I mean, we're not in the same room where I can look over your shoulder, and so I'm I would doing rather the Kindle react. Kindle
1: volume, and you, I think, have the paper. Like do you have a paper one, or.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't mean we have the same No, that's version. what I mean, that like, we
1: wouldn't have the same thing because we have different versions of it. Well, then. even if
0: you have the a digital version of one of the collections, it may be a different one of the collections Ed. than I have in paper. It's Because that's a whole other thing we didn't even talk about, yeah. is that the difference between digital and paper editions. Mm-hmm. But speaking f- from that, I would rather... Like react to whatever you're reacting to, and just assume that it's a different in our co- difference in our collection. It may be, like or could be doing the wrong um thing. Actually, oh, actually, you know, that's, yeah. no, yeah, I appreciate I that. that.
1: I appreciate so. that. Follow me um, down the wrong way. I get it.
0: <laughs> but this is uh, uh, this does make mm-hmm. so much more sense. Um, yes. uh, no, no shade, but no, it does make so much it. more sense mm-hmm. as a cover for issue two because it's like yeah. uh, a living legend surfaces the scene of a dead nightmare. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. And a thing we've talked about before, because there's such a dearth of good villains in the MCU Mm -hmm. that, like, great heroes are somewhat defined Mm -hmm. by how good their villains are. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you combine that with my personal appreciation for opposite number villains, oh, we will talk about that a bit more. (laughs) Uh, It's a really powerful cover Mm -hmm. image, like, and 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 to me as it makes up for how generic the first one was which i it's a good like it's a pretty cover but it's yeah. kind of generic and it's because they literally couldn't tell us anything about the story without giving it away exactly. so i understand the problem yeah but yeah well, and we're we're in it now the
1: thing <laughs> that is really kind of interesting about that cover though and that i kind of love and this is last week's cover with red skull's ghostly face Hovering over everything that a presence, you know, rather than a physical presence, like a spiritual and emotional Mm -hmm. presence is hanging over everybody, um, which kind of feels ghostly. You know, and like someone who may have died. So it feels like there's this tiny little Easter egg in there. There's a little hint. You know, if you're willing to give Brubaker the credit for being the writer that he is, you could look at that and see, oh, he told us right there that Red Skull was going to die.
0: There will be levels Mm -hmm. of people being haunted by the Red Skull throughout Mm -hmm. this story. Uh, we're actually going to meet another person who is deeply haunted by the Red Skull in this issue. We'll talk more about him in a minute. Uh-huh. Your very dismissive Red Skull cosplay.
1: Red Skull cosplay. You. That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> I'm just saying. I calls them as I sees them. All right. So the interior art. Um, I love the difference in the flashbacks. Um, I love how much rougher the edges are, that they are somewhat, um, you know, grunged up by memory. Um, You know, some details are blue and and black and white. Yeah. Like a news serial, right? Exactly. Like he's remembering it through that context. Um, All the soldiers Cap is punching look exactly the same. They wouldn't look any different to him, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And when Cap wakes up, details are clear again. We've got that color. We've got that blue night you know um lots of shadow Mm -hmm. really interesting stuff um we've got a great action sequence you know but even the classic comic book like kapow stuff um doesn't make it feel dated which usually that kind of stuff does for me i understand that it is a very particular comic book aesthetic you know that you don't want to necessarily lose but you do want to update and i feel like they updated it really nicely
0: there's yeah you're gonna have a lot of um a lack, I guess. A lot of a lack. I don't know if that makes sense. A, a dearth, yes. let's say, of sound effects. Uh-huh. Like, they won't be completely missing, but they won't be here. Yeah. Um. Which cuts both ways, mm-hmm. honestly. It can, to someone who is sort of uh, new to comics, it can feel a little dated because mm-hmm. it starts to look like your Sunday morning, right. you know, in the newspaper comics mm-hmm. that you read. Um. But... Uh, in some places, I would say you're poorer for mm-hmm. it, right? Like sound effects matter. We can't hear any of this stuff. Yeah. And when you give a sound effect to something, you are saying, look at this. It's really important. Right. And we could even talk about a book like Incredible Hercules that makes jokes with its <laughs> uh, with its sound effects, uh-huh. right? Um, we may read that someday. So I'm going to put a pin in that and just come back to it when you get to react to it. Mm-hmm. But I get why they didn't do it here. We're kind of going for a more realistic feel, you know, a more grounded feel. Um, But yeah, yeah, that that lack of uh, uh, more cartoony Mm -hmm. or more comic book aspects. The last thing I would say, because I agree with all Mm -hmm. of that, like this, this interior art continues to be great. Getting a different artist with similar but vital differences to do the flashbacks is a great idea. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the coloring of those, what I really appreciated about this is it's Cap's dream, but it is colored the same mm-hmm. as the flashbacks yeah. from the previous issue. Mm-hmm. So we get to the end and Bucky's dying. And those of us who are kind of in the know are like, even before Steve's doing it, we're like, <laughs> that's not how Bucky died. But there's nothing to let us know this is a dream instead of a flashback or a memory except for him waking up. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really jarring. And, um. It's another subtle hint of where some things are going as the story progresses. I I can tell. I you.
1: love that, and I have to say that like one of the things over on Endless the Sandman podcast uh, that I do about uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman uh, was I would talk about how Neil Gaiman as a writer would always use like every part of the pig. That's kind of become my refrain mm-hmm, for when mm-hmm. you, he would put something in at the beginning, and then it would it seemed like a nothing little detail, but it would end up being vital toward the end of the of the issue, um, and also also using a DC history and all sorts of stuff going Mm -hmm. on in there. Um, And I see that too. And this is one of the things that I have come to really value and respect in comic book art is that when we talk about every part of the pig, we talk about every part of the pig, like there is nothing that these artists will not use as a tool, um, including the ways in which they will use those sound effects. You know, when you're talking about the sound effects being part of the joke. Um, And when we talk about the name of this podcast, In the gutter, the gutter is literally the negative space between the panels, and often that will be used in a very particular way. In the dreams and the flashbacks, it's black, whereas on the other pages, it's white, you know? Um, So we, we get a sense of meaning in every little detail and I can only begin to imagine I, I'm sure I'm catching like probably maybe 30% of what's actually there in the art that these artists are doing um, and so it's one of the things where I, I love to sit and talk about the art because I have traditionally been a person that like when I watch a movie I listen to it I want the story beats I don't really care about the visuals I'm not really that much of a visual person uh, when I write my books I don't spend that much time on visuals it's a, it's a weakness I've had mm-hmm. to really work on And working with comic books where you have such limited amount of space for the story to happen that the artist's really have to carry, like, you know, at least half of the weight of what is going on, like all of those little the acting that they do, um, the ways in which they will draw something that will give nuance and meaning. Um, And if you're willing to sit there and actually look at the art, you can pull so much out of it. Uh, So as as an art form, I think comics are Absolutely fascinating, especially for me as a writer with a weakness with visuals. Um, to me, I mm-hmm. learned so much from all of this and I, I find it so incredibly valuable. But comics are treated, you know, and and kind of viewed as like this cheap thing that nerdy grown men read in their mother's basements kind of bullshit. And this is real art work like the stuff that these guys are doing is real narrative it's real story it's very cool um and i would like to see it appreciated a little bit more outside of people who know what comics are that like give a little damn respect (laughs) because these guys are really doing amazing narrative work
0: i have a lot of responses to this i i I mean when i say guys let me take
1: the gender out of that there have all been men all of them for the ones that I've read. But I know that I'm sure there are yeah. women out there doing that. So these, this group of incredible artists is bringing that. I want to take the gender out of that because I'd like to see a space for more women uh, doing the artwork in these things.
0: So, OK, so many. Yes. Let me respond yes. to many mm-hmm. things, uh, because <laughs> I do think that it's uh, just just for people at home who are maybe tuning <laughs> into this and aren't big superhero comic people but are coming along mm-hmm. with us on this journey. I want to caution you. We are doing all bangers for a reason. So that stereotype about these are trash media that are meant for mouth breathing basement dwellers, mm-hmm. um, not entirely unearned. You know, not like, <laughs> not, not certainly not what we want to use to characterize the top. I feel it form, yeah. but there's a lot of that. A lot. I'm just you mm-hmm. know, again, one of the things I love about superhero comics, especially told over years and mm-hmm. decades, is yeah. that you've got. Fucking deadlines and not everything's gonna stick. So you're just like, try it, try mm-hmm. it, try it, try it, try it. And oh, we, so
1: much, yeah. We usually
0: look at the stuff that's stuck, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's almost like a like a survivor bias almost, like, ah, this right. is what this is what the art form is. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is what the art form can be. I'm just and that is not to denigrate oh, it as a yeah, whole. But I'm, I'm just saying that's
1: true of everything. Yes. What is it? That's the Sturgeon's follow-up. Law, 95% of everything is crap. I mean exactly you
0: know. that that was right. where i was headed is that like it's mm-hmm. it's worth remembering but it's also worth remembering that that's true for novels it's Movies, true for tv literary it's for literary novels
1: everything, everything. yes
0: mm-hmm. um and yeah the i would I, again respect on the names of illustrators uh they do way more than 50% like they're it, yeah. not just time spent but also mm-hmm. uh, it's very easy as a writer to drop something in like Sharon gives an <laughs> ironic look you know, and then they have to like turn that into something.
1: Figure out how to sell that in a, you yeah. know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they're definitely I, and not this is not to uh to denigrate the efforts of Brubaker at all because mm-hmm. he's very good and he is doing multiple things always at the same time. And yeah. that is as a writer myself not easy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, when it comes to comics you usually have to like lean quite a lot harder on the on the illustrator. Last yeah. bit because this is worth pointing out. That um Next season, one of our uh, stories is going to have women involved in the creation. Right. Um, Wonderful. Now, Mm -hmm. I didn't do this on purpose and I honestly didn't even Mm -hmm. think about it. I just got excited about the stuff that I wanted you to read and that I thought you Mm -hmm. would enjoy. Right. Uh, However, I will say thank you already to our delightful patrons who have turned this Mm -hmm. into an excuse. This entire podcast has become Mm -hmm. an excuse for me to make you read Sailor Moon, which is (laughs) which we're going to do, friends, uh, because I love Sailor Moon. And yeah. uh, Takeuchi is herself a woman, obviously, and she does 99% of the, well, manga's complicated, but because mm-hmm. they usually have a stable of artists, but yeah. she's the vision. You know, it's a very feminized version mm-hmm. of superheroes. Uh, so we're going to get to that stuff. It's a bit of an oversight Yay! that I just got overexcited, but it's worth mm-hmm. yeah saying uh, we need to ungender this because we're going to get to them, friends. We're going to get to them.
1: Well, and also, you know, step outside of of classic American culture as well. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I think that yeah. I think that I would absolutely love to do that. But while we are here with Captain America,
0: yes. um,
1: let's go ahead and talk about this story a little bit. So, what are your thoughts on how this particular issue evolved narratively?
0: Well, it's great. I mean, I mean, we can mm-hmm. we can just beat that drum. It's it's excellent, yeah. and it's going to continue to be excellent. Um, I will start with yes, ah. Uh, the opposite number villain, right? Because this is going <laughs> right. to let me talk about crossbones a little bit as well as the red skull, obviously. <laughs> right. So you see in, I love opposite number villains. And so the, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I heard that somewhere, if I, I honestly don't, cause I've been saying it for years. I don't know where I yeah. got it, if mm-hmm. I'm responsible, but basically mm-hmm. your opposite number villain is, uh, very similar to your hero but for one or two like major divergences like a right? fatal
1: flaw or a choice it's 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 similar to the doppelganger antagonist
0: yeah right? absolutely absolutely yeah. And the reason mm-hmm. so doppelgangers uh, uh, t- uh traditionally right tend to mm-hmm. be very much evil twin sort of thing like really right. similar mm-hmm. right um which we do kind of have here between uh red skull and cap right yeah but mm-hmm. opposite number uh, the reason i use that more is it's a little more uh expansive as a concept mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. uh using uh, very briefly like batman's rogues gallery as an example all of his best mm-hmm. villains really focus on an aspect of batman's personality and then say yeah but what if we went a little too damn far with it right
1: right virtue taken to excess becomes vice
0: Mm-hmm. So Yes. So his commitment to justice becomes a commitment to justice by chance in Two-Face mm-hmm. or his commitment to uh, to order and saving lives becomes a commitment to chaos and murder in the Joker, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. Um, so obviously we have that in Red Skull and it's like a big neon sign painted on it like that, that Captain America's training and introduction to the world stage in the 616 was expedited by the fact that the Red Skull was out there doing that job for the Nazis way too fucking well, like catch up, like we're behind, which was, which is kind of cool because it's also true for the war as a whole. Like, like America Mm was the allies as a a group, but especially America where we were like, we don't want to be in it. Shit. We're in it, you know, (laughs) um, playing catch up to a certain extent. Right. Uh, But this is where I get to tell you just a little about Crossbones. Crossbones is the man uh, that you are referring to as Red Skull Cosplay. Red
1: Skull Cosplay, yes.
0: He's like a long-term cap villain and wasn't always tied Mm -hmm. to Red Skull, but has been tied to Red Skull during the most important stuff. That has (laughs) that has involved him. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's really fascinating about him to me is he's also a reflection of Cap to an extent because the Red Mm -hmm. Skull was largely a strategist and tactician like he was operating at, uh, you know, running squads and platoons and battalions kind of he's a mastermind. Mm -hmm. Right. And Steve's no fool, but he's not a mastermind. He's more boots on the street. Uh And from that perspective, Crossbones is very much like the physical red skull in mm-hmm. a way um and what's really fascinating to me about that is that crossbones would probably not describe himself as a nazi <laughs> he's not he doesn't ascribe to nazism uh-huh. he's like Therefore, Red Skull, like it's a total cult of personality okay. for him, which is why he's like, "We're gonna burn the world down in yeah. memory of this man that I hold in high esteem." Right, and and again, I am not interested in humanizing mm-hmm. Nazis, so I only want to draw that right. distinction mm-hmm. for character mm-hmm. purposes. That really between Red Skull, the tactician and mastermind and symbol and Crossbones, the boots on the street, I will punch your teeth in, you know, yeah. kind of aspect of thing together. They are like a really good, dark reflection of Captain America. And I love that shit. And we're going to get a lot of that. And I wanted to specifically refer to that uh, in reflection terms, because we're seeing so much of that in the Oh, last
1: absolutely. Issue. I love that. And I'm really interested in seeing more from this dude. I mean, clearly he was the one who was supposed to stand out. He was going to be at least marginally yeah. important, more than the other three guys that got beaten up, you know, in that circumstance. He got away. He was able to do this. He was like in Red Skull's memory. <laughs> (laughs) he's wearing a skull you know face mask it 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 felt very and he's more committed yes
0: but he's also like like, he's the guy at the beginning who was like you guys would be dead if the boss heard you say this sit your ass tight like he never wavers Mm -hmm. his faith in the red skull never wavers even when the skull is dead he's like well fuck it we're still doing doing this doesn't matter Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. Well, you know, speaking of of Red Skull being dead, that is a huge part of, you know, what's going on, dealing with that. And I mean, the thing is that, yes, this is a villain, but this is also someone that Cap has tied his identity to for so long. And it made me think of this William Faulkner quote uh, that I love, which is the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. Right. Um, And I just want to say for the record, I know that quote because of John. John Green, he says it all the time. I don't read <laughs> Faulkner. I I think I read some Faulkner in like high school, but I'm try- I'm not trying to like step up my street cred or anything. It's just that that particular quote has always stood out to me. Um, and the thing that I love again, once again, we're talking about trauma and and dealing with that trauma. Um, trauma doesn't go anywhere ever. The best thing you can do with it is process it. But those flashbacks, those moments where you relive what happened, they never. Stop. Um, and this was, you know, written some 60 years after Cap went into the ice. He's almost like 80 mm-hmm. years old now, or over 80 years old now. Um, unprocessed trauma remains fresh as the day it happens. It waits for you to come back to it. But if you never go back to it, and it does seem like Cap has not really been processing this, it has been coming for him, but he has not been working through it, talking through it, you know, um, examining it yeah. of his own volition. Um, if you don't go back to it, eventually, the trauma comes for you and Cap's trauma is coming for him. So he has... An internal antagonist. And in that he doesn't want to think about this stuff. He doesn't want to face this stuff. But it is coming for him. And it is making him face it. And then his external antagonist, which is tied into everything that happened during that time for him, has been his entire identity all this time, is now dead. So processing mm-hmm. all of that, where he's been able to focus this externally. And now, like you say, the best um, you know, villains will reflect what is going on internally. But they give him something externally he can punch. Now he's lost the external thing that he can punch, so he's just punching fucking everything.
0: Yes, and he's he's mm-hmm. flailing, right? Like that's part of the deal. He's just like, I don't buy it, and part of that is because the Red Skull has died multiple uh-huh. times before. Like part of that is sort of uh, what you might call institutional right. knowledge mm-hmm. for Captain America. Like, yeah, I'll fucking believe it when I see it, exactly. and even then I won't <laughs> believe it. Is a legitimate response. Yeah. It's it's like a it's like an almost. Genre yes. savvy response from someone in the story, but doesn't go to the point of sort of self-parody or whatever. Yeah, I really uh, mm-hmm. appreciate that. Like, yeah, 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 I've seen it before. Right. Um, I, let me let me just uh, because because uh, uh, I am I have a thought that I haven't quite yes. finished mm-hmm. yet, but I, I'm interested in in your thought. But in order to get there, it's probably worth talking about. Yeah. The no, body, right? absolutely. But Please do talk point. about that
1: because that was out of left field for me. And I was like, wait a minute. He is literally Cap.
0: So physically, yes. Uh, so what? Not originally, right? Mm-hmm. Originally, he was Johann Schmidt, bellboy. Like it was a real uh, sort of no, really. Like it was a real Pygmalion uh-huh. thing for him, where somebody was like, uh, Hitler was like, eh, uh, "I can turn anybody into a super Nazi. It's no big deal. I know what's up. I know what Nazism is. Wow. I can turn anybody in the best Nazi. Next person that walks through the door, I'm going to turn into a super Nazi bellhop, oh, Johann no. Schmidt." <laughs> Walks through the door and he's like, That's my motherfucker. Oh and my then he becomes the red skull.
1: Damn, that's tragic.
0: Yes. I hadn't actually thought about that, but here's this, you know, this fresh face, you know, whatever. Right?
1: This bellhop, probably early twenties, right? Walking in just yeah. happens to cross Hitler on a bad day, which I guess is every day with Hitler. And then,
0: <laughs> well, for gets everybody turned else, into
1: <laughs> yeah, for everybody else, uh, but and then gets turned into this thing that has also apparently lived off and on from what I'm gathering from what you're telling me, um, for 80, 100 years now, you know, and yeah. is in yeah. this endless locked in battle, um. Wow, I mean that is tragic, you know. When you think that this isn't somebody who it went is. and sought this out, this happened to him.
0: And if I were going to be a little cynical about the American dream, I would say it's a little tragic. Oh, absolutely. Steve also, absolutely tragic. Yeah. He he is in that way like a mirror of the Red Skull, but he was going yeah. for it, like lying about his name and lying about his physical to get in the army, not stuff. to be
1: Captain America. Becoming Captain America right. was something that kind of happened to him. I mean, he was he consented when he went through the process, but yeah.
0: No, totally. Yeah. I mean let's just say there's some there's some interesting, you know, parallels there. Parallels, yeah. And the short version is the Red Skull died, and mm-hmm. he actually died more or less of old age, uh, mm-hmm. in a fight with Captain America that he had Uh, aged Cap to his proper age, like to his actual physical age. And so they're in physical battle and Cap refuses to kill him and he dies basically of being 80 years old and fighting, (laughs) you know, physically. Dies Uh in Cap's arms. And then you're like, but how did he get a clone body? Well, Arnim Zola did it. I mean, that's it's a little anticlimactic, but it's also like that's Arnim Zola's whole deal. Like, yeah, I do, uh, you know, genetics and, you know, biomedicine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If I can get one drop of blood from Captain America, hell yeah, I'm going to put Red Skull in there. And then there was an accident with Mm -hmm. Red Skull's favorite weapon where Mm -hmm. uh, it's a uh, poison gas that he loves Mm -hmm. and he accidentally breathed it in. And his now uh, super soldier constitution kept him from dying, but it horribly disfigured him into. A red, normally it would it would disfigure whoever died and they would die with a Red Skull face. He lived right. because he had Steve's, you know, super soldier constitution, but it still transformed his face. So, so he actually
1: looked like Steve in the beginning and then yeah. became a Red Skull again because what you are is what you are is what you are and it will always emerge.
0: And I mean, it used to be a mask. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Originally, it was a mask. And for a long time, we had no idea Like, we never saw him without the mask. And when we finally did, it was a big deal. And then he gets Steve's face. And then shortly after that gets his, as you say, true face, right? And the reason I wanted to, you know, make that clear to you, but also, Mm -hmm. um, I've been reading a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I'm very late to the game. Oh,
1: yes, absolutely.
0: Bessel van der
1: Kolk, everybody look it up. Bessel van der Kolk wrote, The Body is the Score. If you have, if the body keeps the score, if you have any experience of trauma, which I cannot imagine any of us that don't, especially after Mm -hmm, the last mm -hmm. two to five years, um, uh, that is absolutely a must read. So, highly recommend it. I will go ahead and put a link in the show notes.
0: This is not a finished thought. It's just something I started thinking about. But Mm -hmm. realizing how much your trauma literally lives in your physical body gets the hormones and get bound up in your body and will loosen. And just like, so Mm -hmm. when you think I wasn't even thinking about that, where did that come from? Something physical. Your body
1: made that happen. Came
0: loose and hit Mm -hmm. your bloodstream and hit your brain. And now it's happening again. And so, like I say, not a finished thought, but it is interesting to wonder what that's like for a body that has been put to the mutagenic effects of a super soldier serum. Like Cap's physiology is not, he's not inhuman, but he's peak mm-hmm. human. Like, what does yeah. that mean when it comes to things like trauma response and stuff like that? I don't know. I don't think that was on Baker's radar in the early 2000s in the way that it might be if we were doing this story now. But it's kind of an interesting question that occurred to me when yeah. we were talking about the same body, you know the same mm-hmm. genetic body, but with a very different lived experience
1: yeah like that in itself is a is a whole world of philosophy just waiting to happen right. it's in a sense in a sense you know a science fiction tale because yeah. and there's a lot of elements of that and the the great philosophical science fiction asks those questions things that are not possible now so we don't think about it but they do they go into the what if you know what mm-hmm. if? You have the physical body. You know of a super soldier. You know, um, but you're just a, a nasty, broken Nazi inside. Like, you know, what does that do? Yeah. How does how do you respond to that? Because the body, so much, we feel like everything about how we feel and who we are is in our brain and in our mind, but it is the whole body as it's a as whole a picture system yeah. working together. Um, you know, which brings us back to these flashbacks, right? You know, we have this. Yes. Uh, we have him having this dream about Bucky. Uh, being shot in the gut when that's not what happened to Bucky. He wakes up and he's like, well, that's not what happened to Bucky. But of course, Red Skull was shot, but he was shot in the chest. And the thing that I absolutely love about this is that instead of making a straight, clear line from capstream to Red Skull, Brubaker gives us a messy one, you know? Yeah. Um, and I kind of like a that.
0: subconscious might do. Like a subconscious might
1: do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And Skull is a living embodiment of Cap's trauma. He's living in Cap's clone body, as we've discussed. Now he's dead. And Cap wonders if that means that he can walk away from all of this. And he can't. He clearly can't. He has to process what happened to him. But he's resisting it. He just wants it over. But also, you know, one of the things I love about this is that Cap is wondering if he can walk away from this. But he never says that. But we know it. Because the hint is there when he says, I was created to stop Red Skull, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then he just leaves that there. It's so elegant. And again, that's what In the Gutter is, right? It is what is unsaid, it is what is not drawn, it's what's happening in the negative space where you can pick up so much of this stuff. I thought it was so cool.
0: It's really, it's really great. Uh, The idea of what would Steve do if he weren't captaining. Mm-hmm. Is really interesting. I think it harkens back to his discussion of he wishes he were around for the space program. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first issue he talked about that. Um, and in that case, he framed it in terms of uh I just I- I'm built to take that kind of punishment and damage. It shouldn't have been those guys. But at the same time, it's also, you know what? I'm a perfect physical specimen. I'd like to use it for something other than fucking dudes up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I mean, you can imagine yeah. he's an artist like like that's a thing you may not know in the mm-hmm. comics. Uh, Steve is a, a, um, an illustrator himself. Oh, like yeah. sometimes they have they have had him drawing the actual in universe Captain America. comic. Oh, like man. that's his day job. Right. Yeah. And so you have to realize there's a soul of an artist mixed in there. And there's probably a place where he has thought, what if my job weren't just wrecking people? You know, right. what if I got to use this body for something other than that? Mm-hmm. And that's really elegant and cool. There's also an inelegant part here that I feel, okay, God knows I love a shared universe, right? Yes. And I am not denigrating this emotional beat. It's a great emotional beat, but it's also a little bit nonsense. If you look at the uh, if you look at the six one six as a whole, okay, because he's like, oh, the Red Skull's dead. What if I can stop being Captain America now? I'm sorry. Did uh, did uh, Baron Zemo vanish? Did Arnim Zola? <laughs> did the Masters of Evil? Did the Serpent Society? Did all these assholes that you punched as an Avenger that didn't have anything to do with you other than you were an Avenger and you were stopping them? Did they all just vanish? No, they did not. You know, so on one hand, it's kind of a it's really a poignant question in this moment, and I don't want to take away from that, but it's actually like, Boy, I love a shared universe, except sometimes it knocks the sandcastle over. Well, see the thing
1: is though, I think that all of that extra textual context actually adds to the poignancy of that moment because yes, he's wondering it, but of course he can't. And he fucking knows he can't. But he starts to ask the question just in case. Like, and to me, that is where the tragedy lies for Cap, is that he can't ever take a day off He can't ever not be capped because there's one cap but there's eight million of those motherfuckers <laughs> roaming the earth
0: yes. blowing shit yes. up
1: all the time like yes. it's exhausting and i know there's avengers i know there's other people you know but cap takes a holiday is not one of these stories and i love the fact that that is inherent in the superhero job like you're never ever done like it's just it doesn't end you just keep going and how exhausting that has to be we usually don't address what that does to the person who carries the mantle of superhero the weight of being a superhero and what that actually means to the person the human who is that superhero they can never give it up a supervillain can quit any day and just go That's, off to yeah. Argentina and escape, you know, consequence there or whatever. But, you know, for for Cap, he can't ever stop because there's always more of them. There's always people in danger. And if you have that kind of power, I mean, you know, it's one of those cheesy things. We always go back to Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. And it never fucking ends. Your responsibility, mm-hmm. you can never put that down. Everybody else gets to retire. You do not. You do this until one of them I- kills you.
0: I think, oh, that's yes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that bringing in somebody like Spider-Man is a really interesting contrast there, too. Yeah. Because a lot of times, and we will talk more about this in a moment when we talk some S.H.I.E.L.D. business, mm-hmm. but a lot of times... uh. Or I should say traditionally it has been let's think about superheroes as police. Yeah. but I actually think they make so much more sense as firemen, mm-hmm. right um because there there should be much more about saving lives and stopping disasters and things like that. But even then it's an imperfect, Comparison because Captain America shows up and he has a sense of duty and he honestly feels like he can't put this down. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man took that on himself. Right. Batman took it on himself, right? Superman takes that, Like so many of them mm-hmm. just take it on themselves and won't let themselves put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, uh, we don't want to turn this into a Spider-Man podcast, but it is really interesting how often Peter Parker has quit. Uh-huh. Like just quit. Yeah. Spider-Man no more mm-hmm. stuff, but can't keep quitting like a smoker
1: you can't (laughs) do it it's just it's just something that it becomes it is a part of you that that it's not a job it is your identity it is who you are and you can't stop being that you know um but yeah you bring up shield let's go ahead and talk about how I miss the show so much. Like, I'm going to start watching it again. I just watched an episode of the TV show Hacks, which is on HBO. Um, Everybody should watch it. It's amazing. Um, But it has uh, Ming-Na, who was Melinda May on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, um, in there. And I saw Ming-Na, and I was like, oh, my God, I miss Melinda May so much. So um, I have to go back to watch everything of S.H.I.E.L.D. But here we have S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, in the comic book, right? Of course, Mm -hmm. we cannot just be Like, hey, you know, Cap, why don't you meet us at a place? They're like, we're going to land a hella carrier. <sighs> <laughs> like you don't have a like an, an uber a shield uber that's just ready to like drive you across town you got to grab him in a helicarrier feels a little drama queeny to me but you know whatever fair enough this is shield knowing what it is and being fucking shield oh, yeah. over the top you know yeah. um but here we have nick fury we're seeing nick fury and i know he's nick fury because he's got the eye patch and he's very suspicious of everybody and he's always got a secret agenda that's nick fury that's who he is but i'm like he's white like i don't and i remember you telling me a story about the history of nick fury and how he was white but then they made him black at some point it was nick fury jr right and oh yeah but there's a middle chapter. and there's a middle chapter i'm forgetting (laughs) because every time you gave me the four color facts at a certain point I, i usually lost the thread and was like i don't I've I've missed some of this because some well, of it it's a was lot going so on so much. Um but yeah, like feels feels wrong to me. And this was before, you know, we had Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury in the MCU. Like this was before any of that stuff had been had been changed. And I'm glad it was. I really enjoy Samuel L. Jackson in that role. But yeah, like Nick Fury being white just feels wrong. Just feels wrong. <laughs>
0: I have a lot of complicated feelings mm-hmm. about the Nick's Fury. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So a little history lesson. Uh, 616 Nick Fury has always been mm-hmm. white. Um, he was actually the star of a war comic called Nick Fury yes. and his Howling mm-hmm. Commandos. Um, that's actually how he mm-hmm. knew Cap during the war. Again, the sliding timescale makes it weird. But like when they introduce him as a super spy in the 60s, it's yes. still the same Nick Fury. He's just in his, you know, mm-hmm. 30s mm-hmm. or early 40s at that point, you know, kind of thing. Um Later on, they had to introduce the thing called the infinity formula that just it doesn't really give him uh-huh. any superpowers. It just retards his aging. And that's how we have we may <sighs> see Dum Dum Dugan running around some of the other Howling Commandos, the same thing. He, so he's always been Caucasian mm-hmm. in the 616. And um, for a person who loves 60s Spy-Fi and also read a lot of uh, shout out Jim Steranko, 70s Nick Fury, comma, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. books he has an infinite amount of like super spy cool for me. Mm -hmm. There was a publishing initiative um, in in, around this era, actually called ultimate ultimate Mm -hmm. comics. Um, And the idea was that they were going to launch a separate, marvel universe that is very similar to the main one but you can get in on the ground floor Mm -hmm. right so we introduce a teenage peter parker he gets bit in the first issue and they're off right um they introduce um their equivalent of the avengers as the ultimates which uh, i will say is one of the only things that book gets right that's a much better name than the avengers because the avengers is like we showed up after everything was over who needs avenging Mm -hmm. and you know and in the ultimate Universe. There were a lot of questionable. Cho- There's some good shit in there, mm-hmm. by the way, but there were some other like questionable choices. And one thing was that they modeled their Nick Fury directly on Sam Jackson, mm-hmm. and that in itself is not a problem. The thing that bothered me even at the time is not the race change, but the fact that they were unwilling or unable to make their Nick Fury as cool as the six one six Nick Fury, and so they borrowed Sam Jackson's cool.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And and. Then when you get to the MCU and you have the actual Sam Jackson doing it, I'm like, fuck's sake. <laughs> like, I mean, sure, it works out, but mm-hmm. it's literally like drawing a big circle yeah. on the thing that I had a problem with from the Ultimate Comics. And does it work on screen? Of course it works on screen. He's fucking Sam exactly. Jackson. <laughs> but I have a lot of like yeah. complex feelings about this right. kind of lazy approach to Ultimate Nick Fury yeah. that bleeds over into the MCU and makes me prefer... 616 Nick Fury, mm-hmm. generally. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I get it. Um, but the thing is, I find it funny is that I don't mind, um, you know, when a white character becomes black. And of course, this was a white character that was always white. But like, you know, let's take right. a look. Everybody, but not to you. Not right? to me, because my experience was first with the MCU. But I'm I'm fine with characters, you know, being changed. It's just that I usually like it when it's in service of not so many white people. Like, everybody's white in Oh, this. sure. And I get it. Like, that's, you know, the way things were written, where they started. um, I just feel like I really would have appreciated having some diversity in the storytelling. You know, we have one woman and then it's all white guys. And and Red Skull, I think, even though he is technically a red guy, like counts as a white guy. (laughs) You know, very, very (laughs) much a white guy. Mm -hmm.
0: He would suggest to you that he's the ultimate white guy. Almost as though he were perhaps an Aryan ideal of some sort.
1: It hurts. Anyway, so, well, okay, yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. It does hurt, but let uh, me point out. But let me point out. Um, he wasn't really mm-hmm. originally because in, in in the same way that Hitler was not really an Aryan mm-hmm. ideal. Um. But him getting into Steve's clone body is another little bit of tragedy at a meta level because yeah. it was not an accident that two Jewish men took an Aryan ideal, wrapped him in the American flag, and had him punching Hitler in the jaw at least a year before we were even in the war. Yeah. That's not an accident. Yeah. That's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, that's a little bit of that through a glass darkly yeah. stuff with Red Skull. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. No, I'm, 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 that's the other part of my big mixed feelings is that, like, yes, please, more diversity, but do it. (sighs) Treat the character itself better instead of being like, have you guys heard of Sam Jackson?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Just writing (laughs) Sam Jackson's coattails instead of actually writing a character that has that kind of depth on its own, you know, on its own as a character.
0: Now, that said, speaking of kind of like, let's have some people in here that aren't straight white dudes. Uh, I feel like you're warming up to Sharon, that I may have helped you. A little bit of 616 Context may have warmed up
1: you did you definitely did because I really felt like it was just like well we can't have him in love with a 40 year old woman so we're going to give him her niece you know Um, Uh, and that's gross in a lot of ways Um, but you know but the reality of it is yes they actually did that but also like you know Peggy wasn't as central and her character was not as developed as she is in the MCU so so yeah like I, I am I am warming up to Sharon I do like sharon she does seem to be a developed character rather than just the pretty you know like coming in being pretty and distracting cap um she is written as a real character she's of course the only non-white guy i think in the whole thing so far um and she's still white you know so it's just it's it's you know it's something that like i'm feeling a little um there's got to be like a, a a word for claustrophobic, but with white people like um, ca- <laughs> caucasophobic, something like that. There's something like that where I'm just feeling closed in by all the white people, and I'm 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 wishing that we had a little bit more diversity in. And the story is not to mention that there's not even a hint of LGBTQ anywhere in here. I get it. This was written a while ago, and things like that were not necessarily done as much. But you know, eh.
0: It's also a story that's rooted very seriously in Captain America's Mm -hmm. overall personal history, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, um, uh, we kind of had this conversation a little bit when we covered Endgame Mm -hmm. that we're stuck with, to a certain extent, Because of the, the outside of the, the fiction, Mm -hmm. like the, the, we're going to write mostly straight white dudes, you know, because, uh, we've been making comics since the Mm thirties, you know, since the late thirties. And that was the mainstream audience. So that air quotes supposedly. So that's what we're going to do. And then, so anytime you want to do a story that really references a lot of that history, you are absolutely kind of. You're awash
1: in. Yeah. Claustro So you either have to ignore the history.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> trying to try to just find the word. Just penned in by white people. Yeah, just penned in by white people. But you know, I like I accept it. It's just something that is that I'm It's sitting with me. Um okay, so the other thing to Sharon, in though. Yeah.
0: To Sharon, though. Uh, she's Agent 13, right? And so off and on, there have been suggestions that the lower your number, the higher ranked you are in S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: Interesting. Okay?
0: And so you're looking at a, just a ridiculous swath of people it just takes to run the helicarrier, Mm -hmm. let alone the actual, you know, sort of worldwide global organization of Mm -hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. And she is 13th (laughs) from the top. Um, Like it's, to some extent, it might be a little informed, except she's also honestly done a better job than comic book Peggy at keeping up with Captain America. Mm-hmm. And, I, mean, you know, like, she's incredibly competent. Yeah. Like, she would not have this job of Agent 13, which is what brought her into interaction with Captain America in the first right. place. Mm-hmm if she weren't just amazing and so much better than a lot of these dumb boys.
1: Well, yes, but a woman has to be in order to get what a male Agent 13, a male Agent 13 would have half her competence and intelligence and be able to be there. So like the fact that she is the only woman that we see, and yes, she's worked her way up high, but that means that she's better than absolutely everybody else at S.H.I.E.L.D., all of these men who are there just, you know, doing their thing and failing upward. Um, White men, mostly, apparently, (laughs) also as well so like it's just it's one of those things that like when my you know feminist you know hackles get up every now and again it's stuff like that um and i appreciate that we have that but like we need more of that we need to see more people rather than the one exceptional none of these dudes have to be exceptional to get where they are but the women do um any people of color do like it's it's one of those kind of exhausting things after a while but i do appreciate that and again. Like as we're progress is progress, it happens, and and appreciating progress is not a bad thing. I'm definitely going to um just let it go with that comment, you know. I'm just like having having but a comment, I, but I it. understand
0: mm-hmm. you completely. Yes, I understand mm-hmm. you completely. Yeah. I mean, Shield is actually a place that really pokes my personal politics yeah. really mm-hmm. hard. Also, yeah. like I just um like look, I've I grew up with my dad was a fan mm-hmm. of Man from U.N.C.L.E. Like I really grew up with the spy fi stuff, and uh you know I. I, mm-hmm. We were at the tail end of the Cold right. War, but still yeah. that informs like a certain amount of our worldview mm-hmm. and things that I accepted uncritically over the course of me being like a genre yeah. fan that now bother me a lot. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is like a plus top of the list <laughs> for that, right? Because um because they're su- and, and we talked about this some with yeah. the show. Two, that there was no accountability, that at the you end know. of the day, uh S.H.I.E.L.D. is super cops and ACAP, mm-hmm. like just especially the last couple weeks, years, yeah. whatever. Um And it makes it it makes it harder. I, I, I really have to grit my teeth and just and just yeah. go with it and accept that that's part of the, you know, the poison pill that I'm getting to have this. Fun adventure time is that I have to watch super cops, super cop around the fucking place (laughs) when I don't like it. And um, it bleeds over the cap, honestly. I mean, because he is a government operative and has been from jump. Mm. Uh, So he is a super cop. Yeah. Even if he doesn't like it all the time. and. Now you can see why I like vigilantes and firemen (laughs) as, you know, as comparison for superhero Mm -hmm. better than police.
1: I get it. I absolutely get it. And, you know, all of this to say, I haven't said this in uh, this podcast yet, but I've said it absolutely everywhere else. So anybody who's listened to me before has probably heard this. But but again, like people are, you know, creating things within the context. It is never my intent to condemn a creator, writer, artist about um, the stuff that they create But I think it is important that we look at it and ask these questions, you know, with the lens of what we have learned um, and kind of take a look at it that way. But without putting condemnation on the people who were writing and creating this stuff during a time in which that, um, you know, first of all, they may not have had that perspective um, because we didn't listen to people who were not generally straight white men. Um, But also that, you know, they just wouldn't have been able to like nobody who was in charge, would have let them write that, you know? So, like, these are all complicated issues. And we're not talking about the people, we're talking about the stories, we're talking about the culture because all of our creative stories are reflection. Right. The ideas. They're reflecting yeah. us back at us. And if we don't like what's in the mirror, we're going to talk about it. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking mm-hmm. about the mirror of us not the people who made the art. There are some really bad artists out there. That's a discussion for a different time. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just saying right now <laughs> that's that's not a condemnation of anybody who worked on these um, on these stories. Um but I would like to close with aid I mean, really advanced ideas and Destruction, (laughs) seriously, you know, and then we've got Crossbones, you know, idiots with guns and bombs. I mean, you know, like, it's okay for story purposes. I think we're supposed to be rolling our eyes at these dudes, but I mean, still.
0: Um, We're not supposed to be rolling our eyes at Mm -hmm. Crossbones, but I think that's specifically because he is a lens through which we are supposed to realize that he's doing the best he can with very rusty (laughs) tools, Mm -hmm. Right. You know, um, like he's a big damn deal. And if you, and you can kind of (laughs) tell that even if you don't have a background, but if you have a background, yeah, of course Mm -hmm. he's there overseeing the most important of the three cities that skull was going to blow up. Uh, but he's like, get your shit together. Mm -hmm. You guys, you know, right from jump. And when cap shows up, he's just like, well. That's not what this mission is about. I have to hang back and figure out what's actually going on. You, you know, like he's clearly a cut above, but yeah, Aid is a bunch of fuckaroos. <laughs> like it's just on the label.
1: So uh, Joshua, let's go ahead and start with what is your favorite page? And we're talking here specifically about the artwork.
0: I can get down to one panel actually. Um yeah. the Pietà moment with Bucky in the dream sequence is fucking yeah. heart-wrenching. I mean yeah. it's no less heart-wrenching for the fact that I know that's not how Bucky died and that now as a person who's read this looking back that there's mm-hmm. other, you know, things afoot, none of that makes that scene less a punch in the gut. It's Yeah. excellent.
1: Yeah, no, it's a really, really powerful moment. And yeah, you know, like we say favorite page. We're talking about the artwork. Sometimes a panel is enough. Yeah. This week I picked a panel as well. Um, I love Ooh. that moment where we see Cap hovering in the air in the Manhattan Underground about to fuck up a dude's day. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but it is just funny to me. It's Cap just flying through the air his shield right there he's like i am so done with this bullshit and there's something about it that i just i love and then we all we see is the guy he has no idea the cap's flying at him he's just like you know (laughs) about to get knocked into the wall i love that panel
0: I want to maybe give you like an added layer to that a little bit. Because you were saying, I don't know exactly where the line is, you know, as far as like what's okay for Cap. And I'm not going to say that this is not okay. Okay. But I am going to say this is a scene like that whole like flying in the out of nowhere, shocking that guy. And then he pins him to the ground and says, you know who I am? (laughs) Like that's the, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. This is not a thing that Cap cannot do. So I'm not saying he's way out of character, but it is something that would be maybe more at home in a Batman comic book, right? Sure,
1: right. And
0: it's just looking at Captain America acting in a not entirely Captain America way. Like, he's a symbol. He's out front. But Uh here he is being fucking terrifying on purpose. You know, he doesn't just start asking questions. He comes out of nowhere and then says, you know who I am.
1: What? What is this? Foot he just, he's... on the neck, right? yes. <laughs> yes. And he just
0: doesn't usually do that. That's okay. not, it's, it's so not he's... wildly out of character, but this it's not is... typical for him.
1: Yes. What this is, is chandeliering. Now, this is a term that I got Ooh. from Brene Brown, right? Brene I Brown like this. was talking Tell me about more. this. that, Like when you have a pain point um, that has been hit too much, the second anything comes near it, you hit the ceiling, you hit the chandelier, right? So that's- that's oh, the thing. Yeah. And my therapist also, at one point, I was talking about how I had way overreacted to a situation. And in the moment, I knew I was overreacting to the situation, mm-hmm. but I didn't know why. And she was like, yeah, that's what trauma does. Like, you just, the pain yeah. is so severe. It's so present that, like, when something gets anywhere near that space, like, say, here, I have to fuck up yet another bad guy trying to blow up the goddamn city. uh
0: uh-huh. um,
1: you know, then you overreact. And so we're seeing, this is what I love about this, we're seeing Cap overreact to stuff. And instead of saying, wow, isn't he a wonderful superhero? We're like, hey, something's wrong with Cap. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about your feelings, Cap, maybe for a minute. Um, But he doesn't want to do that. So what's your favorite part of the story?
0: I want to say... To Again, to to sing the praises of our illustrators. No, Mm -hmm. it's a good transition because we talk about favorite piece of art and then we talk about favorite piece of story. And that is a good way for us to approach comic books because they are both those things, but they're also when they come together, obviously.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: there's a lot in that page, right? That is Mm -hmm. almost entirely carried by the art with like one line of dialogue. Um, It's just... Yeah, good way to go, comics. When you're awesome, you're fucking awesome, right? That said, looking at the story itself, like sort of the separate from the art, um, you always pull out your I've read this a couple of times, uh-huh. and it, you know, you are gonna ha- find these really like subtextual, these really powerful character beats, and I am also. Like it's yeah. not like they're not gonna be there. But in this case, what I really appreciated story-wise, there was such a moment. For Captain America, where he's very out of his element, like he's trying to be a forensic guy for a minute, (laughs) like at the crime scene, and then he's like sneaking around the sewers and doing Batman shit, Mm -hmm. and then he kind of fucks up, and the bomb's gonna go off, and he has this moment, if only I knew how to stop it. Oh, wait, I do. Because, (laughs) not because he's an engineer, not because he's a detective, not because he's a scientist, but because he has fought AIM 1 billion times. And he's like, yeah, these assholes can't build anything for him. (laughs) Yeah. These dicks can't build anything that doesn't take a bajillion gigawatts of juice to do anything. Let's just cut cut the power. power. (laughs) <laughs> Beautiful. I oh, love this. I love Star Spangled Man with a Plan. Chef kiss. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and for me, of course, it is the subtextual moment, right? It is that moment when Cap is not saying but clearly thinking, "Can I be done?" Yeah. And I just, I love that.
0: And we know he can't and he knows he can't. But just giving us that glimpse of a little bit of weakness, not even weakness, a little bit of humanity, a little bit of humanity
1: of exhaustion, of exhaustion. He is so tired of these guys. And I love it. I love that we're acknowledging that that has got to be. Exhausting that we're giving him that humanity. I think that that's great. And that's always going to be my favorite part is when we see that human part of Cap dealing with all of this. All right, everybody, we will be back next week with Captain America Winter Soldier issue number three, in which Cap visits France in the present and the past. The Red Skull's plot becomes clearer even as his murderer's plot becomes muddied. And at least one or two important characters who appear for only a page or two are going to make me ask, Wait, who the fuck is this?
0: Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Unruh and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.